All right. Can you hear me? This is Ward. Is that Ward? I couldn't tell. Your voice is not distinct at all. Oh, not distinct at all. Well, maybe I can do Lucas's voice. <laughs> I don't understand. No, no, no. This is Lucas. Pro tip. Pro tip. Yeah. La, 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 la. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of Adventures in Angular. On our panel today, we have Lucas Rubuki, Ward Bell. Hello there. And I'm Joe Eames. I'm your host. And we have a special guest today, Patrick Stapleton. Hey, guys. So, Patrick, the topic today is going to be like kind of a general Angular 2, migrating Angular 2, etc. But before we get into that, it would be a good idea to talk a little bit about yourself and uh, your background and just kind of give us an introduction to who you are. Yeah, so I'm Patrick Stapleton, but I'm also known as Patrick JS. And that's because my middle name is John and my last name is Stapleton. So it actually is JS. Wow, that's the coolest <laughs> name ever. Yeah. Man, <laughs> why can't I be Joe JS? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's like, that's my thing. I do corporate training in, in open source at a, a small company my friend and I started called uh, Angular Class. I also work uh, with the Angular team on server rendering, Angular 2, and Falcor JS with uh, Netflix on uh, Angular 2 integration and examples for that. And I guess uh, my background is more of a, previously I was also the CTO at a small startup at, in San Francisco called Keychain Logistics, uh, Adrian Horowitz-backed, uh, YC-backed company. Um, before that, I was also an instructor and an, an alum of uh, Hack Rector, which is a 12-week bootcamp. And um, during that, I also like won a launch hackathon and also created uh, this thing called Reddit Insight, which is downloading Reddit and then running and some analytics on, on top of it. And that was actually like extremely popular and the was actually the top like 50,000 websites viewed that day. 
That's me. I've been doing Angular for about two years now. I've seen your picture, and I don't, you know, you're too young to be a CTO. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of a long story. It's more of a, an opportunity I, I took. But, yeah, that's a whole other story. Or you can just dye your beard gray. That'll help. <laughs> well, my hair is turning gray. It's all that stress. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about Angular 2 and where it is headed? So Angular 2 is really, really interesting because it's more enterprise-grade. Uh, because think of uh, frameworks in the spectrum of far left being really good for small apps and far right being really good for enterprise. Then Angular 2 is on more or so on the right, and Angular 1 is more so on the left. And this is why Angular 2 is getting a lot of flack with examples up, with the uh, examples, because it's usually a lot of boilerplate because it's literally an alpha right now, and it's not done yet. While in Angular 1, it's built for a lot of smaller apps, and because of that, the examples are just way more simpler, and it's in production already, so it's not like it's an alpha or anything. I'm curious about that enterprise small app distinction, particularly since I spent a lot of time in the so-called enterprise, and they have a lot of small apps. So, uh, you know, mostly small apps. Actually, if anybody's smaller than the – we used to think of enterprise as really big, but it's actually the Facebooks and the, the social media things that are really big and making enterprise small. So, But that's a roundabout way of asking what the heck are you focusing on that is – the enterprise-y character that is missing in uh, Angular as we know it today? I would say um, TypeScript's static analysis, more so static analysis. Like uh, Angular 2's focus is having a really solid baseline, being able to statically analyze your, your code base. And from there, you can even turn, in, you can even turn your, your application into an abstract syntax tree, and then you can even like go really crazy there. Like Some people do that uh, in enterprise. But the idea of Angular 2 right now is that they're trying to get the foundation extremely solid. So that way, when you build abstractions on top of it, and it's a lot easier to, to reason about for tooling because you have that static analysis. Um, so I guess when I say enterprise, it's more of working with large teams and being able to work more independent because you have uh, better tooling. And a lot of problems that you run into with Angular 1, and that is like typos with the directives and everything, will essentially go away because you could create a schema for a directive or you have types and then you're able to infer what the directive needs in order to interact with it, et cetera. So I guess like when I say enterprise, that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Okay. I, 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 one can debate whether that's enterprise or not, but I get where you're going there. There's the thought that you're going to have large applications with large teams and that the, that they'll be have more success if they have better tooling and they have um, the kind of type support that you get out of a TypeScript so that they can get some design time feedback rather than relying on runtime failures. And so they can write even fewer tests than they write today so that they don't have to know whether they're actually working or not because the compiler will tell them, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'd like to turn the discussion a little bit into like Angular 2 kind of preparation and migration. Getting ready for Angular 2 and maybe migrating your apps from Angular 1 to Angular 2. See, we, we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so the minimum amount of effort that you could put in right now is just switching to ES6. Like that alone will do wonders for you during the migration because majority of the, the changes it's just due to the language itself. And uh, if you want to take another step further, you could then start abstracting your services 
into classes. And I have a GitHub gist showing an example of an Angular 1 service and an Angular 2 service, a, a simple to-do app, where it's using both the Angular 1 DI in one file and Angular 2 DI in the other one. And that's literally the only difference between the two is the dependency injection. And if you look at the files, <laughs> I'm going to post in the, the show notes or whatever, but like uh, if you look at the file, literally the only thing that's different is the top and the bottom part of the file, where the, the class itself is relatively the same. It's very interesting. So, so that's actually like a really big thing to do to say just use ES6. There's a ton of decisions that have to be made there. Like, should we use um, TypeScript or Babel or what do you mean by ES6? Because you mean yeah. you mean something besides JavaScript native, like some sort of transpiler has to happen. So, what are you suggesting? Yeah. So, in any production app, you're always going to have a build system. You're always going to minify your your code, right? Mm-hmm. So. While you're doing that, you might as well also add another uh, step, and that's uh, using something like ES6 Babel or TypeScript. So to make the transition easier, I would recommend Babel. But if you're willing to to learn a little bit more about types, then I would definitely recommend TypeScript. Uh, so, so once we're on Angular 2, are you recommending we use Babel on Angular 2, or are you, are you recommending we use TypeScript on Angular 2? You could use... Babel and, and Angular 2, but I highly recommend you use uh, TypeScript just because you have the, the type uh, dependency injection, so you could essentially specify yeah. you, know, you have this <clears throat> sugar where you specify the type, and then when you compile it down, TypeScript will automatically add a decorator to inject the type for you, or to okay. inject that service for you. So a lot of us are going to be able to do one conversion to Babel and then one conversion to TypeScript, so so you're saying it's easier to go from n- nothing to Babel, but ideally we should go for, to TypeScript. It's kind of it's kind of what I'm hearing. It. Well, just going to anything like ES6, you know, plus there, but ES6, I guess the only options are really just at this moment just Babel and, and TypeScript. Anyone would would help. But so I, I guess I should say like converting an application from Babel to TypeScript is literally just adding types to the constructor, and that's the minimum amount that you need to add to convert it to from Babel to TypeScript. Like you don't technically need to, because it's optional types, you don't technically need to add types to every single thing. Mm-hmm. So Aaron, you're a huge proponent of ES6, right? Yeah. You've done a lot of work with it. What do you guys think of the authoring scenario in ES5? I mean, I'm sure you've seen the examples of Angular 2 and ES5. What's your thoughts on that? Versus, you know, so somebody that says, oh, I don't want to, Go to ES6, and the Angular team's promised that I can write in ES5. Maybe some thoughts about that. At NG Vegas, Brian showed for, and I'm not. If someone wanted to use ES5, I don't care. Like, there's tools though that will help you. So, like at, at NG Vegas, they showed this tool. I think it's called A.js, mm-hmm. but it it gets you kind of the same kind of syntax that annotations give you, but you can use it in, like, it's similar. The setup is similar to what you're doing in ECMAScript 6 with annotations, but it's all wrapped inside this A library. You get some magic out of it so that people who are in ES5 and for if they have some reason why they need to stay there, they can stay there. So if you need to stay in ES5, there's tools for you. That's my opinion. Hopefully, though, everyone is saying, yeah, we'll use ES6. I know that there are like the Eric Elliott's who hate anything to do with classes and so they're like going to avoid that at least that one part of ES6 which is 
unfortunately what Angular 2 is heavily dependent on. So isn't uh, isn't Ward in that camp? <laughs> I, I am one of the people who is fearful that classes will be overused. A particular worry is uh, deep inheritance. So I, it isn't that I mind a single level of class, but what I see going on, you know, in the in the statically typed world, is that people then are using inheritance over composition, and they're getting these deep inheritance trees, and you get lost. And that was that's bad in the static world, and it's not so good here. And of course, you can do just fine uh, with function style. JavaScript in both TypeScript and, and this new world. What I I don't know is what uh, it, it does seem that that Angular two is resistant to that. Is is that a correct impression? It's resistant to our couching services as functions as opposed to as classes. Well, remember that Angular two is built from the ground up um, with emphasis on on performance. So also remember that in the browser, the browser is V eight, for example, the engine that runs the browser. It actually looks for the, the class pattern and optimizes for that. So deep down internally, it's actually creating a class object in, you know, C++ or whatever, and it's optimizing down there. So that's why, like, classes are here to stay, just because of that performance gain. Example would be uh, Dart. When they were doing the Dart and making a, a VM for that, they found that they were able to get twice the amount of speed uh, compared to V8 because they're able to, because everything's statically typed and uh, everything's using a classical system and they're able to replicate a lot of that in the virtual machine. But more of, uh, on your, your question, Angular has always been advocating a uh, composition over inheritance. And the best example of this is uh, directives. So in Angular, you have this notion of directives, right? And Polymer, you have this notion of web components, right? Now in Polymer, they favored inheritance, and because of that, you have to inherit like their Polymer uh, class, and then you're able to extend on top of it. In Angular, you just create a component, and then you add a whole bunch of directives inside of that. So now the, the pros and cons of the two, so with Angular, that's a composition, because you add multiple ones around each other rather than inheriting it. In Angular 2 and 1, um, you run into a problem of having to prefix all your directives rather than in, in Polymer, where you don't have to prefix like your directives because you know for a fact like this is being like what properties are being what as opposed to Angular 2 where you actually need to prefix your properties because then you don't know which directive is like what you're setting for which directive. So that's like an interesting problem of, of the two paradigms. But Angular 2 is, you know, focusing more on that. Um trying to, you know, not get too deep into insane inheritance. Boy, that's a bookmark thing. I gotta go figure out what the heck you where you were just going with that, but I think I get it. And I think my worry about the class thing is is insane inheritance and what that what in the way that's going to get people going down that route. But it's not necessary that they fall down that trap door any more than it's necessary that they fall down it in, in statically typed languages. So it's just a worry because, as you say, uh, as you started here, you talked about how there was some this orientation to the enterprise. And to my mind, that what we're sort of doing is trying to make it easy on developers who have spent all their time in statically typed languages to try and bring over their habits to the JavaScript world, which means not being true to the uh, opportunities, not taking advantage of the opportunities and the style that's available in JavaScript, and that's worrisome. But we can get over it. Um, yeah, so you're definitely right. That's always been the case with Angular. Uh, like, it's always been the case that it's always trying to make it easier for more people from other languages. Um, example would be just Angular 1 itself with the notion of like factory from Java 
and just a lot of stuff, uh, patterns from Java that makes it a lot easier for, for people coming from enterprises and other languages. But that's the whole purpose of TypeScript in general anyways. But you're right, like it's inevitable, like it's going to happen. Um, the only way to prevent it is for all the, the influencers to advocate against it. So when people are learning Angular, they learn from whatever resources are out there. And if everyone keeps uh, talking about, you know, you should do this because of this, then they'll know not to do that. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about because uh, when I was doing corporate training for this one company, there's this one particular person that, because we were teaching it in uh, Babel, he kept using classes for everything. And then I was saying, like, you could do that, but then look what happens. Like, now you have to manage your dependencies rather than having the DI manage it for you because he was creating um, all these classes and then returning them from factories and everything. And I was showing him, like, you could do that. It's just that you only want to do that for certain reasons, et cetera. I'm completely with you. We're going to, we're just, we're going to have to help the community that as it, as it comes over here, gain the benefits of the strong typing and the, and the, and the design time checking, but shed their, shed their typical knee-jerk behaviors. And, and we can do it. It's just a challenge. So my thought is the awards fear is good fear. And I hope people heed what he's saying. I do think, however, the new class system doesn't add any functionality to classes or sorry, to inheritance that we don't already have in JavaScript. So I don't really run into an insane amount of over-hierarchical inheritance chaining with prototypes. And I know that classes make it easier, so it's going to bound more with classes than it would be with the, the prototypical inheritance. But because it's it's never been like prolific with prototypes, I'm not sure it's going to be prolific with classes either like i think you'll get some inheritance but i don't think you're going to have like these 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 things we're all scared of which are these never-ending trees of inheritance and you can never find where the function that you inherited came from like i don't think we're going to really see that and if you do i mean just fix it like i don't i don't think it's going to be a thing and any anyone who does if it's on like some major framework like if angular does it or react does it it'll quickly become a dinosaur because people aren't gonna you know attract to migrate to something like that well, I, I certainly hope you're right, and I'm also hopeful that we will be continuing what I consider a, a fruitful pattern within JavaScript, which is duct typing. You know, where you just sort of you layer on functionality and borrowing from different things, and and if it you know looks like a duck and acts like a duck, it's a duck. So, Patrick, what kinds of things change for the Angular developer to sort of the Angular one developer who wants to sort of shape his code, be ready to move? Where, where are the things that you concentrate? I know you. I've, I've seen uh, some of your videos, and you've been you've been working on trying to get that thought across. Yeah. So the biggest thing is services, just because they could be refactored into just classes. In Angular One, you do the module revealer pattern, and that's essentially just return an object, and then that has the methods, and then you could refactor that into a class very simply. The other place is directives, and this is. Another thing that people don't realize, but essentially, even though the API is really scary at times, like essentially there's no like best practice of or opinion on how you should create a directive. And because of that, um, they kind of give you just all the options in the world. So in my um, NG Vegas uh, example, like I show that you could actually use the exact same syntax in Angular 1 and 2 for, for binding data. So in Angular 1, you would do this with scope 
within an object, and then you would say data. On the right-hand side, you would actually rename data to equals data or equals bind data. So that way, in the template, it looks like bind dash data. And this is a semantic in Angular 2, where you're able to create an alternative syntax rather than the, the whole bracket shorthand to actually specify what you're binding. And we could take advantage of, of that uh, convention in Angular 2 and take it and bring it over to Angular 1. And doing that would also make the, the interface in Angular 1 a, a lot simpler too because, you know, it's best practices already. That was a really cool demonstration, which it comes about halfway through that video. I know we're going to have the, the link, but you, you did a number of moves there where you were sort of showing the symmetry almost a syntactic symmetry between what you would write in Angular 2 and what you would write in Angular 1. I thought that was really good. One of the other interesting things you did in there is you replaced, uh, in the directive, you replaced a link function with a controller. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so it was kind of like a, a bad practice previously. And so I'm talking like in Angular. So Angular 1 is it's very old. It's it's five years. And I kind of seen the, the community kind of change its opinion and it's like it was it was actually really wonderful because this so this is a little bit tender, but essentially like the best thing about Angular is also one of the, the worst things. That's that's always been the case. So one of the best things is that it doesn't hold that much of an opinion on you, and because of that you're able to be a lot more flexible. And that's how we got the whole like module like folder structure, as opposed to just controller type system that kind of just got crazy after a while. And that's because we don't have that restriction. And because of that, like the community just changes overall. So Previously, the controller was, it was actually bad practice to do any dominant inflation in there, et cetera. But because we now know what best practices are for uh, components, it does make sense now to do that. And the difference between a controller and a link is that the link function, you have more control over the life cycle of your component as opposed to a controller where it just gets invoked before all the, the linked, post-link, pre-link thing uh, happens. That's also one of the, the downsides of Directive API in Angular 1 is that it wasn't really thought up, like the lifecycle system wasn't really thought up that it needed to be user-friendly. It's more of a, an afterthought just because there was a use case. This happens because of the whole like progression of time. And also remember that another example is the, the router. So the first router, the one made by Angular, it was actually only using one view. And that was actually by uh, design because initially angular was advocating people to use more directives and that's what people are doing now but the problem back then is that everyone was scared of the directive api because it's really scary i mean we have like talks about that we have a book about it etc for good reason and because of that the community kind of like shifted to ui router which makes sense and that's great and then just went full on just mvc and because of that, everyone just kind of shifted, the community shifted the best practices to that. And then when someone else came around and said, hey, we should do everything like components, suddenly everyone's saying, oh, that's a good idea. We should be doing that. But the problem was that like the Angular team was kind of advocating that initially. It's just that there was no like best practices or good API because of that. Right, and the, and the director syntax was meant to support a great many edge cases that maybe weren't the best idea, but they had a, that really complicated pipeline of, of when this happened and that happened. It just, it's, just, it's just kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And, and they've been able to boil that away, a lot of that away in NG2, right? There aren't as many moments to worry about. Is that a fair statement? Well, they're still doing Angular 2, and that is allowing you to have full control over your components. And... It's actually really nice because 
if you want to do something really advanced, then you could do that. But if you don't, then you you don't have to. Um, if that makes sense. Um, right. I mean, you're not bombarded with okay. There's a compile. I have to decide whether I'm going to have a compile or not. And if yeah. I have a link, do I have a pre-link and a post-link and you know all of that crazy edge stuff. Yeah, so it's it's more thought out because of the experience of everyone in the community and learning what the, the best practices are now. And another caveat with opponents in general is that everyone keeps talking about this MVVM, MVC, MV whatever. What it really is is just MVC within MVC, and that's the thing that people kind of forget. And that's another thing that that happens all the time. Everyone kind of forgets history, and they're doomed to repeat it. For example, the server is MVC, but then you create a single page app and that's one part of your MVC app. And then on the front end, your MVC app, and then each component is MVC. And that's essentially how um, apps are structured. But people kind of forget that. That's that's all other attention as well. Well, I think I know what you mean there. What you let me throw it back at you. Do you mean that the UI is composed, the unit of composition are these little MVC triads, if you will, and they are nested, is, and, and you build up your app through a um, sort of a nesting of these things is, uh, through composition. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the idea is that for us as humans, it's easier to reason about a problem if it's smaller and if it's encapsulated. That's why like something like the module or component system was great, because it's basically a small app, right? And it's easier to reason about that. And if we have multiple small apps, it's easier to reason about that. And that's why it's composable and uh, MVC is just all recursive because it's just easier to reason about for us. Yeah, it's just that sometimes it's scary. I mean, recursion is scary for people and, th- and things inside of things is scary for people. But I yeah. think I know what you mean. And there, you, you sort of build up semantic units that represent, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and then you build out of these Lego parts. You're just building, you're building your Lego parts and then building new Legos out of the Lego parts and so forth. It's that kind of idea, right? Yeah. And the difference between, like, say, like a module folder structure and a component folder structure is that the component folder structure enforces restrictions on you that leads you down a better path in terms of avoiding anti-patterns. And that's why it's kind of a best practice now to do that, just because of that. Because the the difference between the two is it's not much at all. So what's an anti-pattern that you would be able to, you would be steered around? Okay, so I guess this is a good segue to uh, data binding, or two-way data binding. So one of the biggest problems with Angular 1 developers today is that a lot of times when people make the initial version of this page, they don't refactor it. And I say refactor as in if you make a large function, you usually refactor it to smaller functions so you can, it's easier for you to reason about. The best example is a, a wizard or a form. You would make your form, maybe it's dynamic, you have energy repeat in there, and you have multiple fields. A lot of people would use the, the primitives given to you by Angular ng-click, et cetera, but no one actually refactors into components. So that way it's easier to reason about and you're able to have more control over the performance and logic. And this is something that in any other framework, um, like Backbone, for example, you, you would actually write everything manually. And because you're writing everything manually, uh, you're more cognitive of the performance implications of everything, as opposed to an Angular where you have so much power over everything you're kind of drunk with it because you're constantly just using all the directors in the world. And this is essentially uh, Scott Moss's uh, talk 
about having to, well, his is also about performance and everyone using too much, like NG everything. What I'm trying to get at is that like you should refactor your behavior into a component so you could better optimize for it. And that's, that's something that kind of becomes a apparent when you are forced into this component architecture because you're kind of like forced to think of everything as, as a way to turn it into a component. And because of that, you're kind of falling into the pit of success there. I've got this image in my mind of Lucas wringing his hands and laughing demonically as he codes up his Angular 1 apps and then <laughs> being stripped of his power when Angular 2 comes around and like withering away and dying. Ah, the, th <laughs> the bucket of water thrown on him. <laughs> well, Angular 2, we do have ng model back in, in Angular 2. So that's the most loved feature in Angular 1. Hey, that's a great segue. Let's talk about that. Go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I talked a lot, so I wanted to like balance it out. I don't know. No, let's talk. You're, ng, you're, ng model. Yeah, ng model. And, and you, we didn't have it. And you were talking about two-way data binding and anti-patterns. And you had definitely had my attention since uh, I think of two-way data binding as a pro-pattern. Yes. So I was kind of purposely segueing into this. So essentially... The reason why we want two-way data binding is for, for forms. And that's because when we all went to Angular World, we all found out that dealing with forms is actually kind of amazing. And that's because it's a lot easier to reason about inputs with two-way data binding. And the anti-pattern with two-way data binding is that it's harder to separate concerns when dealing with data because essentially a model is updating the UI and um, this is more of a, I guess, answering the, the previous question of the reason why ng-model is great is because, because of that whole MVC architecture, when you're making an ng-model on ng-form, so like a lot of people, so I need to do some backstory, but essentially when whenever I teach Angular, like no one, and whenever I ask like Angular developers, no one really knows about the form controller or the ng-model controller. Essentially when you create a form, you're creating a controller, and whenever you create a ng model is essentially creating a controller there and it's attaching it to it. So essentially you have this system where you have smaller components interacting with a, a larger component, like a group. And if you were to think of this imperatively, which is something you could do in Angular 2 now, you could think of it as you have a, a service that interacts with many functions. So in, in Angular 1 and Angular 2, the template, this is a whole other tangent as well, but essentially like there's two tracks to two forms that's template driven, data driven. Uh, template driven is markup directives and components. Uh, data driven is uh, JavaScript functions and services. But essentially, with two-way data binding, because you have this miniature like MVC model going on in your forms, the two-way data binding is creating that the coupling for you, which is great and it allows you to uh, interact with your data that way. And the only reason, so this is another tangent, but essentially, it's an anti-pattern because two-way data binding and other parts of your app is actually can allow you to shoot yourself in the foot. But essentially, that's why it's great for forms, if that kind of makes sense. Maybe we can make it more concrete with an example. I mean, let's just take, let's suppose you had a lot of people, and they have a first name and a last name, and you want to construct a, a, you know, a full name. You have a sort of computed full name property, right? So when I'm in a form and I'm updating a person, that's when the two-way data binding kind of comes to the fore. And I expect, for example, as I change the first name from Fred to Sam, 
that the computed full name is updated for me dynamically as I go because the value of changing the first name goes into the object, the computed property gets calculated, and by virtue of dirty checking, the computed property appears as I type, right? So that's the classic example of how you might wrap, you know, a concrete thing like person into a form. But now I've got this long list of all the people that I know, you know, the million people that are my best friends, and that's outside of the form. And so, I don't know, just take that as an example and then try and, and make the points that you were just making. Yeah, so in Angular 2, you're able to take advantage of actual computer properties. So Angular 2 is uh, kind of like pushing most of the work into the language. So that's just another example of that. But essentially, what you're running into is a data management problem. And that is essentially like just a hard problem in general. Because if you're dealing with a form, say you have a long list and you say you have all these computed properties and everywhere, essentially you want to update that view model, but then only when it when it's validated and it's ready, you want to update the actual model in your service or whatever, just because you don't want to have any like side effects happen. But I do want a side effect. I want if I change the first name, I want the full name to change. And there's nothing really complicated about this at all. I mean, this is the one of the great things about Angular is I didn't have to think about it. I had a person, it has a first name and a last name, it has one computed property, full name. Every time I change the first name or the last name, the full name is refreshed. Nope. Just so long as you didn't go eleven levels deep on that. But I don't. I mean, you know, realistically, oh, yeah. it, you really don't. I realistically, I mean, this is like falling off a log. It was, as a matter of fact, it was the first example that if you ever walked into Angular and you looked and they taught you something, this was practically the first example. And you said, "Yeah, give me some of that." That's one of the <laughs> things I loved about Angular. That's why I came to Angular. So if if it's not that simple then I feel like something's taken away from me. And if somebody tells me that was always so complicated, I look at them and I say, what are you talking about? That wasn't complicated. So I, what anti-pattern here? What, where's the anti-pattern? So I'm trying to figure out why I'm hoping you can shed some light. So what they, where, where's the anti-pattern here? So you, you have, you have two-way data binding. I should just clear that out. You have, you have that now with ng model and you're able to, to do what you want to do. I'm only suggesting that for a lot of other people, like it's a lot easier for them to shoot themselves in the foot because, for example, a good practice for creating a form is not to update the model directly because what if the user backs out or what if the user disconnects or if they're offline, et cetera, then you have this stale data laying around. And if you update it automatically, you also have like a multiple user concurrent problem as well. That's not solved by any change to data binding at all. The full name is a display property. If I'm changing Fred and then the thing goes south or somebody on the, you know, some other user somewhere else changed it to Rebecca, I got that problem no matter, without regard to what data well, binding system I have. So I'm saying like you, you still have that. It's just in the language as a computed property. Like that's like a language feature now. Well, we're going to have to duke this out. Sometimes, <laughs> but I think we, we're going to need to have a whole episode just yeah, about Angular two uh, forms. Because I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I am freaking out by all this talk about how hard life has been for us and all the troubles and the precipices <laughs> and abyss we've been falling into. And like I'm sitting here, I'm just saying, man, I've been cranking out some pretty mean apps. And suddenly they're telling me I'm doing it. I've been doing it wrong all this time. And instead, I got to stand on my head to scratch my ear. I don't get it. But there so, you go. That's another yeah, talk. Yeah. Essentially, it's the whole like model system going to component system. There's no difference. It's more of just for 
beginners, it's a lot easier for them not to shoot themselves in the foot. So I guess shooting to more like directly address it is if you could change the model on the template itself. So that's the view changing the model. Oh, well, that's data binding. Essentially, like it's just more of like dealing with stale data that people shoot themselves in the foot with. All right. So we are going to wrap up on that note. But I could tell that this is definitely one of those topics we're going to have to... Uh... Yeah, we're not going to agree on this anytime soon. I, I was lost until and so I was with Ward. This is a very interesting thing, and I this is cool because I think we're representing a lot of people here in this conversation. So uh, something we'll have to bring up in another episode, I'm, I'm sure. Ward, this is one of Ward's hot buttons, so we can't even mention <laughs> Angular 2 without this topic coming up, right, Ward? Yeah, I've got a song in my head about that. It's like an old soul song. If you know, I, if this, if doing, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, that's, awesome. that's it, man. If shooting myself in the foot, I'm gonna keep shooting. I'm gonna lose that foot. All right. Well, we gotta we gotta wrap this up. So we're gonna move on to picks. Let's have Aaron. Do you want to go first with your pick? Yeah. So anyone who knows me will know that the book Ready Player One was um, basically the, my favorite book I've ever read. Pick it up and read it. It's 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 an awesome book. It's my favorite book I've ever read. I've I probably read it several times in the last few years. The author is releasing another book that will be a movie as well. It's called Armada, and it comes out next month in July. But this week he released on a blog that I will put in the show notes chapter one of his new book armada and from the very first sentence he sucks you in and it's a little last starfighter ish but i i think you'll see why this guy got such a good name um so yeah go check out this this uh chapter one of armada and and get excited to to get the book next month just fyi i've already pre-ordered that bad yeah boy. will wheaton's narrating i pre-ordered it as well so i'll, I'll have it day oh day. nice yeah. anyway that's my pick okay Awesome. Oh, Katya, how about can you? I do one more pick? Oh, one more pick? Yeah, go, bro. Um, go. I'm excited about the Mind Hive, the collection of awesome Angular people that are going to be out in Boston later this year at Angular Summit. So I wanted to um, just kind of throw it out there. Hey, everyone, if you're East Coasty and you want to get some Angular love, go check out Angular Summit, AngularSummit.com, and, and maybe submit a, a, a proposal to speak as well as get a ticket. So yeah, that's my other pick. Sweet, Katya, you're up. Okay, my pick for this week is sign language, because I was learning that in school, and it's such a cool, just kind of, like, it's it's a cool language, because you can communicate underwater and, like, a, over, like, really, really big distances, and it's just really cool. Just really like sign language. Oh, great, Katya. Another way that two teens can talk to each other, and I won't understand them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's why they made sign language, Ward. Yeah. That's totally why. I knew it. I knew it. And they're talking about That's... me, too, while they're doing it. <laughs> oh, you know. You Don't know it. it. All right. Ward, you're up. Well, first of all, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. I got the link in there. <laughs> you got to have it. Secondly, there is still time for you to attend Angular U in uh, San Francisco. It's coming uh, coming up June 22nd. All kinds of Angular team folks are going to be there. I'm going to be there. Joe's going to be there. Lots of good people going to be there. So head on out to San Francisco and check it out. And then I picked up a book in the airport. I was flying back from Sweden. And it's by a Nobel Prize winner named Daniel Conahan called Thinking Fast and Slow. And 
uh, God, you got to read this thing. It's so fascinating about the way in which it talks about how we reflexively behave in ways that we're unaware of and uh, think quickly to wrong conclusions. And then how another part of our mind, which is the one we think is us, is uh, occasionally engaged to correct those uh, instinctive reactions and try and come out with reasoned answers. And there's this sort of tension going on between these two parts of ourselves. And the book is fascinating. And it was the basis of his uh, Nobel Prize in economics. So, uh, But it's very readable. So check it out. Uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. I know what I'm going to read on the plane to Russia. <laughs> awesome. All right. I'll go. And then we always like to have our guests go last. So you'll be after me, Patrick. Yeah, cool. So for my pick, I'm going to pick Denmark. I just took a trip to Denmark for a week. Had an awesome time. It was great. Denmark. Went, at a conference. Denmark. Even went over to Sweden. I had no idea that if you're in Denmark and you want to go to Sweden, you just hop on the train. No passports, no nothing. It was super cool. So got to go over to Sweden for a day. Went around Copenhagen, saw lots of cool, very cool things, and just had a great time. So Denmark is going to be my Was that last week you were in Sweden? Yes. I was there last week. How did we miss each other? I don't know. I was way down the south in uh, Malmö and Lund in Sweden on Friday. Where were you on Friday? I was in Stockholm. Ah, awesome. So that's my pick is Copenhagen, Denmark, and by extension, Sweden. Had a great time in all those places. Fun place to go. Everybody speaks English. Super easy to go on vacation there. Um, loved it. And so, Patrick, you're up. Yeah, so my pick is Angular 2. If you haven't already, go ahead and, and try it out. And Babel is my other pick. If you haven't already, you should write something with Babel. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on the show, Patrick. It was a really fun episode. Sure. I like these these ones like this. It's great. <laughs> and uh, good information. I mean, Angular 2 is coming up. We need all this content as much as we can get in the hands of the people. So power to the people, yeah. right? All right, yeah. The people have a right to know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, I'm, a, I'm like a Nobel, uh, Pulitzer winning journalist on the front lines of uh, – some war wearing a flak jacket. Oh yeah. Yep, that's how I. That's that's basically what I am. Definitely. <laughs> that's dude. It's such a noble calling. The, yes. the podcast guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is noble. It is so noble. <laughs> we are. We all deserve. Nothing. Adulation, acclamation. We deserve nothing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, you're fishing. Everybody. <laughs> you're fishing for compliments now. This is <laughs> tough. You're fishing, you're fishing. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who agrees with me, t- tweet at one of the uh, one of us on the show today and let us know that you agree that this is a noble calling. Yeah. If you agree <laughs> with me that we deserve nothing, then tweet that as well. All right. All right, tweet that. And if you do agree with me that this is noble and we deserve adulation, tweet oh, at me. Totally. Hashtag noble podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> and if you agree with Ward, then tweet that too. I want to hear that. Yeah, All right. Be Thanks. Three people. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening in. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, Patrick, again for coming. It's a great episode. Talk to everybody later. Peace. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at Mad Glory. 
Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 